Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life, get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck, for Christ's sake, you're taking this literally. What are you yeah. doing, Chuck? I'm not dying. I'm just staying miserable for long periods of time. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> this is truly living. To feel this much um, physical uncomfortability is true living. Yeah. Fully alive, fully aware. For those that don't know, there's been a lot of people texting me. And uh, Wiley's called me a bunch of times. People worry about you. People want to know how you're doing. And... That one time I called you were in such pain, I didn't want to call you any, until I heard from you. I figured when you were feeling better, you'd call. But I guess Mike has, <laughs> Mike has gotten you to do a podcast while you're in terrible pain. And I, it, it's, it's, swollen, it's, it, it's swollen a lot. It's okay. That's my job. <laughs> I've made a very cool collage of um, photos from the day of the surgery till like yesterday of the site, how it's changed oh, colors and inflamed. Oh, I'm going to send on. it to you guys. Oh no! I've cut out the, I've cut we out. We are talking parts. about your nuts. We're talking about, yeah, it's an inguinal hernia. So it runs right along that line and all the way down to the sack. It, I've cut the sack out of most of the pictures because okay. for a while, for a while it went black. And the fun part is, is that a uh, yay? I'm I'm probably going to be keeping my nuts, so I'm not getting a cool nickname like Charlie One Nuts or something. I kind of wanted. I was like, cool, Charlie One Nut, but now I'm just going to be Charlie Two Nuts. I mean, there's nothing exciting about that, oh, you know. Wow. But 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 because it was swollen so big, because it went from like a like a, like a decent strawberry to a uh, apple? man, like Besides no an apple, a no, black I, apple. Yeah. <laughs> no a key like a kiwi fruit right okay so so oh, that's what size that's the size so, of mike mart's balls all the time what are you talking about <laughs> hey, did, did you on. how do you hey, how we're do you, losing you, listeners left and right here <laughs> i don't know how you sit with them that big it was it's just so big all the time that like it like there were no wrinkles in my and sack it hurts did you have to oh. it hurt it hurt like you had to hold it up or something uh, ice. I kept ice on for uh, eleven days on the incision site and on the sack for eleven days. You should have rested them in a bowl of Jello. That's what I would. Um, oh, to feel like a king. So you know? yeah. is it? So can we reassure some of our you know rabid listeners that you're okay? That's really why I wanted to do the podcast. Like literally, Wiley. Wiley has called me every day, Chuck. He's very yeah. worried about your nuts. He, he has my phone number. <laughs> he doesn't want to. Nobody wants to bug you. Well, you know what? You know, I, I, I appreciate that too, though, because it's like Chuck, Mike is the only person that calls you. <laughs> I call him every day. My my folks are like, oh, like a couple times a day, and I go, you know what, man? If things get a whole lot different either way, I'll let you know. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just like I'm just trying to sleep because when I'm sleeping, I'm not feeling things. And I got to tell you a funny thing that when I first, right after the, the surgery, I got um, Percocet. Right. Okay. So Percocet, they told my wife, because I couldn't go pick it up. They said, um, oh, here's some um, naloxone. Here's some Narcan. 
So oh, now yeah, they have get, to give it. They have to give it with the prescription. But they didn't tell her how to use it or, or what to <laughs> well, do with it. It, it. It's American. You're talking about American healthcare system, Chuck. We just have uh, rules. We don't have any. Oh, reason. my God. It, you know, if you don't know how to use one of those, it, it what are you going to do when you're panicked and you're upset? And well, you no, kind of wanna, what, I, I guarantee you there are people dying because people don't know how to administer Narcan. There for yes. sure is. And imagine that if it's your spouse or your friend or whatever, and you have, you're responsible enough to have the Narcan, and then you're just too untrained or too scared or too overwhelmed because you got to get used to it. Cause I, because of our don't die, that, that training that we've had at a couple of them and the one in the park, Mike, Chuck, did you go to the one in the park? No, I just went to the one in, um, on Santa Monica. Oh uh, yeah. Santa Monica. So the one in the park, I really did the whole class and it was just like, you got the first thing the nurse says, don't hear what she say. Don't be scared. You're pushing it too far up the nose. They're they're right. uh, They're dead. <laughs> <laughs> right. Cause, cause you can't hesitate, you know, oh, I don't want to hurt their nose, you know, or I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make them give them a bloody nose or something. And they're just like, nope, push that thing as far up as it goes and push it as hard as you can and get it all up in there and put a popsicle up their butt. You were, remember we were talking a while and he said he had a guy that he hung him upside down and put the thing in his nose and closed the other nostril with his thumb and just jammed <laughs> it in there. Remember that when we were talking? I've heard yeah. people do, you know, things like chest compressions or, or to try and get the lungs to do some movements so you can actually, they can actually sort of inhale it. But it, it pushes the Narcan out. Oh. Well, there's right. an in and an out. So it's about timing. I don't know about that, but I know. Oh, yeah, there is, there is. Yeah, but if you do it wrong, you figure you shoot them up with Narcan and they don't come to you the way you want and you start doing chest compressions, right? You push the Narcan back out on the first push down. Yeah, and then so maybe it wasn't their time. Yeah, maybe, maybe they weren't listening to the show. You know, it's really sad. <clears throat> Excuse me. On but top you of can't, that. Can we be honest? You, nobody but Elvis Presley can die of Percocet overdose. Let's be honest about it. But the fucking medical so system is so screwed up. They they enacted this thing that everybody made common sense. If you're going to prescribe fentanyl, if you're going to prescribe OxyContin in the 80s, you have to provide Narcan education and not access in, to Narcan for your okay. patients. Wow. But they're, now they're giving 60s, them out for fucking little 80s, Percocets. Yeah, 7.5? 7.5. How many times does that go into 60? I can't even do that in my head. It's like eight of them to make one, right? So it's like... Right. Um, they should be the, passing them out with everything. You get a cold, you should get some Narcan. Just get, get that shit out there, man. And a basic how to do it. Because you open it up, you look at it. Yes, it's for us. It makes sense how to do it because we've seen it, we've done it. But it's not going to make sense for everybody right away. And they should be comfortable with it. And this is, this is a, uh, a strange, strange look at this because I have a neighbor. Um, I could throw a rock and hit his house whose girlfriend died last oh, week. God. Oh, my God. I have Narcan in my car. I have Narcan in my house. He knew so little about what to do that his parents said he, he saw her. She wasn't breathing. So he held her until the fire department came. And they came from Santa Ana instead of Fountain Valley because there was a car accident that knocked out a, an electrical pole. Oh, God. So 
There was a 10 minute wait and the guy didn't know chest compressions, breathe for them, uh, ice cube in the butt. Ask a neighbor like me who I talk about this shit all the time for fentanyl. I know they don't listen to this. Otherwise, I wouldn't talk about it. Right. Because because this is touchy, but but it's touchy. It's going on all over America. So and I'll show you how crazy it is. So we started this podcast how many four years ago? We were talking about 50,000. One of the first podcasts, 50,000 people had died. 55,000. Five years at this point. Yeah. So 50,000 five years ago. Now it's over 100,000. So this podcast guy that had some, I don't know, health and wellness podcast wanted to talk about it. So I was on a podcast a couple of weeks ago and the guy said, you know, 100,000 people died of opiate overdose. And I said, yeah, nobody cares. And he was kind of shocked that I said that, right? Like he thought, <laughs> I said, you know, I care. I've made it my life kind of work. But, but obviously, America doesn't care. You know, somebody might get a runny nose at elementary school. So, um, so I said, my prediction, and I just said it off the top of my head, by 2028, that number will be 200,000. And guess what? No one will care either. It's going to yeah, double in. It's going to double in the next five years, because and, of the hopelessness, the helplessness, uh, universal uh, basic income, all the things that everybody's talking about is going to lead to more opiate or more overdose death. No doubt in my mind. You know, and it's so it's so crummy, because we were just talking about how there weren't any. Now this guy is, is somebody I see all the time. I, I know all my neighbors. The ones I don't talk to, it's just because I don't like them. Our little group of townhomes in here. Boy, you're really, boy, you're really letting it all hang out tonight, <laughs> But I mean, you've never, you better you've hope never they don't admitted, listen to you. Wait a minute. Chuck is, Chuck is having a life-changing experience through this horrible <laughs> surgery. You actually Whoa. became Bob Forrest for a second. You admitted <laughs> that there are people that you hate. <laughs> uh, you know, if if I like them, I talk to them. I talk to everybody. It's not like I've lived in neighborhoods where you just don't know people and you don't really get to know them. But I know everybody here. We do things out in the little grass triangle here with all the families. And these guys know what I do and they know what's up. And this this woman wasn't, uh, she wasn't a youngster. She wasn't a junkie. She was someone who, was playing with stuff she shouldn't have played with, right? But uh-huh. the fact that the guy only knew enough to hold her, thinking that that was anywhere oh, near yeah. the answer, I know that that's a that's loving so thing. so sad, man. And it's so, it is so sad. And it's just like, mother, I mean, I wanted to go, I did right. have restraint because I wanted to say, you stupid motherfucker. Right. She could still and- be here. But I don't know if she could have been. I don't know yeah, how far she know. was gone. And I don't know any of that. But it's just like the idea of this word isn't out there enough that even people, I mean, I think we're making some sort of difference. But people that know me in my real life don't even know enough to ask me. No, I know. And I, I have it in different ways, too. A lot of my friends, teenagers become addicts and they, won't, they don't talk to me about it because they're embarrassed. So then they send them away to some fancy teen rehab thing and that doesn't go very well usually. And then finally, you know, six months later, they tell me, oh, yeah, she, you know, she went to Idaho to something. And I'm like, you should have talked to me. And, and people just are embarrassed or they, they don't want to. We're still got a long ways to go when it comes to mental health awareness, overdose awareness, Narcan awareness, and, and particularly addiction awareness. So there's still this thing about what who is an addict right and uh, mm-hmm. and a says it all the time who is an addict 
and and there is a large part of this population that think the lady next door who died of a drug overdose is not an addict. You know what I mean? Mm. So as long as we, we like, why is the word addict such a such a horrible no go zone? I, I there's a country western song, Mike. I wish you could find it. It's it's called. It's like he only the worst thing in life is if he ended up in AA. Right? <laughs> there's a new country song. And he says, and the chorus says something like, I'm just trying to keep my girls, meaning his daughters, just trying to keep my girls off the poles. He's trying to keep his daughters from becoming strippers. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to stop drinking, but at least he's not in AA. <laughs> Yeah, let me know how that works out. I remember Amy Winehouse had a song like similar yeah. to that. Too. Oh, yeah, they wanted me to go to rehab. I said no, no, no. Yeah, because so, you know that's just that that whole thing's that whole thing's really what, sad. What are we not communicating that addiction's just the same as as cancer or diabetes or whatever thing? Why is why is it so hard? Do we need a new word? Do we need a new word to call it? Is what the insurance industry calls it the sterilized? substance use disorder is that that doesn't seem to be catching on that doesn't seem to be lighting the world on fire as a definition of what what your neighbor had what did your neighbor had the cdc calls it despair death right so she will be categorized as despair death which is alcohol overdose car accident from alcohol drug overdose suicide despair death Hmm. right so is it really despair? Because, because uh, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine, Mark, today, and he was saying, you know, after all you've been through, you know, because I was saying how grateful I am and how much I, I think part of Los Angeles' problem, part of the United States of America's problem is a lack of gratitude of how fortunate most all of us are, right? Mm-hmm. Most all of us are so much fortunate. Uh, yesterday, I met with a guy who said, one billion people on this planet live on one dollar a day. One dollar a day. One yeah. billion. Yeah. Two billion above that live at the poverty level, which is five dollars a day. Three billion people on this planet live on five dollars or less a day. That's for housing, food, water, electricity. Are you fucking kidding me? And we got these whining, complaining people all over America, the oh, Karens yeah. driving their Range Rovers, complaining about the Mexicans are moving in or whatever they're fucking complaining about. So I live in this gratitude and I shared it with my friend Mark yesterday. And he said, well, coming from where you come from, I, he said, I don't want to be critical, but I think coming from where you come from, I can see how you can live in that gratitude. But somebody who wasn't down and out like you were would have a hard time. And I was like, well, they need to become more aware of the suffering in the world and then start understanding like how fortunate we are, right? Well, isn't, isn't that the point of 12-step is to get out of yourself and get out of your little bubble of self, the self-centeredness, and to, to see, to look around. And, and I mean, it doesn't mean I have to see somebody who's worse off to appreciate that I'm okay, but I also had two not only a neighbor, but Matt Aguilar and Jeff Hawking, people I knew, uh, die in the last week and a half from overdoses oh too. So it's like, you know, you know, three people 
that have died since your hernia hernia surgery? Yeah. Oh my God. So Doc. so it's like I'm collecting this information and going, yeah, this this sucks and it's really gross because now it's gotten to the point where it just sometimes just kind of, it self drains, so it just spits this reddish brown hematoma oh, blood. Oh God. And that's why I'm not it work yet i could probably like i'm sitting on the couch right now not at my desk like i normally am because it's more comfortable but i could probably sit at a desk for five or six hours at a time right now because it's not that bad but you know complication after complication and for a while i was just like poor me and then i hear about this person then i hear about that person then i hear about this person it's like you know what i i was able to i was able to take uh pills without getting strung out. I have a life that is so good. I don't have to get loaded today. I don't have to drink because things are bad or because things are good. I don't have to shoot anything, smoke any. I didn't even want to smoke any of the pills. I didn't want to crush them and snort them. It's such a gift that everything else is icing. You know, the fact that you know, I, I've been able to spend a little bit more time with Bug. I left the house twice today, and it was both times. One was taking Bug to school. One was picking him up and going by the store, and it was just like little things. I haven't been to a, a show since, like, the middle of last month, and I usually go to shows every weekend. I love music, but I'm okay. I'm okay seeing that other people are going, and I'm happy for them. Now, I don't know if that's AA or the people I met in AA or the people that are in my life now that taught me. What my friend is saying is we have something to compare it to. We have homelessness. We have toothless. In my case, I have homelessness, toothlessness, hopelessness, helplessness, and nobody wants to be my friend anymore. You had had toothless toothless and roofless. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so everything's gravy if you can just like put a roof over your head and kind of like have a semi-functional life which i do so i live in this constant state and what why it came up is um a friend of ours killed themselves to he's not Uh, a friend of mine he's a friend of friend of my friends but i am acquaintance to the guys uh to the guy and you know, the guy lived on Mulholland in a big fancy mansion and whatever and he and he killed himself and and um, I was just like, yeah, like, you know, you you have major depression, you have suicide ideation, you have addiction or you have bipolar disorder and you've been trying to fill an infinite hole with finite things. Eventually the tire hits the road and you've got to figure out how to live in this world with the conditions that, that have been handed to you and not die and not kill yourself and 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 so many people are giving into it and the explanation is somehow covid depression there's an actual thing now called covid depression wouldn't it be societal separation wouldn't it be separation depression or wouldn't it be deprivation it's people that have covid they seem to have these lingering depressions and fogginess and two i was with two people that had covid and they said, yeah, every day about 1.30, I just get exhausted. And I'm like, you know, and like they, and when he, this is the one guy described when I wake up in the morning after eight hours of sleep, I'm exhausted. So that is, that will lead to, if you're, if you're predisposed to depression and predisposed to and or anxiety, waking up after an eight hour sleep being exhausted and you can't even get up out of bed to make coffee, that'll be depressing. Right. So I believe right. it's a thing, but. But 
to kill yourself over that? I don't know. I don't know if there's direct correlations to all this where everybody you know, tries to draw lines. I don't know, but you hit on something a minute ago, and that's that's something that people talk about openly in public all the time that used to be a shame-based type thing. And most people's are personality disorders where they go, you know what? So I, I did some therapy and I started, you know, getting outside and I started doing things. That's the same sort of stuff we do for addicts and alcoholics, right? We do a little bit of talk therapy in a group. We, we change what we do. You know, we do CBT, you know, we, we, we take action that changes the way we think so that we think differently. It, when you put, when you put it, um, what I'm afflicted with in the same realm as OCD or depression or anxiety, that's not like so, so harsh that it needs to be treated with chemicals or medicines. There's a lot of people that are doing better just by changing the way they live. Well, that's, that's the situational and that's the personality part of it. So right. most people can't figure out, figure which is which. So they like, we all like labels and we like medicine and we like quick solutions and quick fixes. And, you know, if you don't have a belief system that helps you cope with life, you're in trouble. So, so if you're, if you're, belief system or coping mechanisms are warped. Like I need heroin to deal with being alive. Right. That was my coping mechanism. Like life well, sucks. You're, you're, you're too smart and too sensitive for this world. Yeah. Life sucks and people are horrible. Was kind of my motto there from 91 to 95, I think, or 96. So life sucks and people, so life sucks <laughs> and people are, are awful. Well, yeah, I still got, I got remnants of it, but not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not entrenched in it like I was. So life sucks and people are horrible. So take heroin and it helps you deal with people and deal with life. That's, that was my strategy, let's say, right? And mm -hmm. then that breaks down. And then what sobriety forces you to do is say, what, what is my belief system? What is my coping? How, what is my strategy for coping with life sucking and people being awful? Well, AA helped me change why are, the first question was, why are people off? And that was a critical part of the evolution of recovery. Why are people awful? awful? Why are you awful? Let's look at why you were awful. Well, I was scared of not getting what I wanted or losing what I had, or I had, I, you know, or being, I was fearful of betrayal or I felt betrayed. Okay, mm -hmm. so what are all those things? They're fear-based things, whether real or imagined. And what I don't like when if there's a lot of sponsors out there, I don't like this dismissive thing of, well, that was all made up in your head. No, so I was betrayed. I was, I was mm -hmm. betrayed. And, and people can really fuck with you. So when you deny the fact that some of our rationales of people are awful and life sucks are actually valid, which is what a lot of sponsors do. And they try to say, well, no, that was all you and your perception. No, life is tough. Life is hard. Buddhists, the Buddhists say life is suffering. So life right. is difficult. And it's this learning process of how to cope and how to become better at coping, right? So the first one was, why are people awful to you? One is, well, I'm awful to them. Oh, my God. Right. That was like a magical thing. You're awful to them, so they're awful to you. Here's an idea. Don't be awful to them and see what happens. 
Right. Right. But that's the big, that, that's the big protective factor. So if I'm a dick to you first and you don't like me, well, it's because I was a dick. We don't even realize we're doing it. We don't I, even a- realize we're doing it, but AA and sobriety, AA and sobriety gets you conscious of that. So I, mm-hmm. it was hard for me because I'm naturally an asshole. So I was going to be <laughs> no, less of an asshole. Not. I was going to try to be less of an asshole. I wasn't, well, what Gloria Scott, my sponsor said, just button it. Just fucking button your lip. Yeah. Like, don't say the smart alecky, cynical things you always say. Oh, that, was, so fun. that was so practical. Like, so, and I realized, like, if the, the, as I became less awful to people, m- most people became less awful to me. And then guess what? The ones who were still awful stuck out like sore thumbs. And then I right. could pray, then I could pray for them. And I could, I could, yeah, I could do all I could to clean up my side of the street, try to fucking have a better relationship with them, try to relieve their fear about me or their, my triggering of them or what I had done and try to have a better relationship with them. And the ones that didn't want to, I had to just move on. The ones right. that weren't going to forgive and weren't right. going to, I had to move on. That's only so to later, vital. Only to later, a lot of them got sober and returned back to pretty good stead relationships with them, right? So the first thing that AA taught me was addressing my opinion of other people by addressing how I treated other people, right? Right. And also how that affects the way you feel every day. I mean, because if I'm walking around pissed off at everybody all day long, every day, I'm going to be miserable and I'm going to be affecting everyone I come in contact with, with that toxic sort of attitude, you know? And the biggest thing, I was so afraid to let relationships run their course. Sometimes they run their course and people move on and that's okay, you know, because new people are constantly coming in. It's painful when you feel a fittedness with somebody and and they, and, they move think, away, yep. and they move away and they move on. Not I'm not just talking about romantic relationships. I'm talking oh, about friends, friendships, right? And uh, and in my case, the people that had moved on from me from me, I felt were like stuck up because they were becoming successful in life and they didn't want to be with me. I was given the gift of being successful in life myself. It took 20 years, but. I was given that gift. And so now I understand what they must have gone through. It's very, it's a very precarious thing, relationships, right? Because you got a lot of, especially with long-term relationships, you got a lot of experience under the, under the, a lot of rivers run under the, the bridge, right? And you got a lot of experiences together. And then you grow older and you, and people have get divorced and people have this and people have that. And and people become hardened or cynical or bitter. And, and our job, as I believe sober members of, of the community, is to love in the face of that, right? Absolutely. But people you do, told me that You told me that a long time ago, to yeah. love the unsurrendered and to love the people that, you know, because it just makes it so much easier to want people to be happy than it is to, to sit around and feed on the negative. So I wanted to talk about the positive first because there's the negative side, the world. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah. that's been a very, I thought I had the world wired there for like 10 or 12 years. Everything seemed to make sense. Nothing oh, really, <laughs> really fucking, you know what I mean? I thought I had, 
I thought I had learned how to accept the world and life on life's terms. And what happened to our country over the last five years, I can't accept it. I, mm -hmm. I'm in the process of trying to accept it, trying to love in the face of it. And I feel myself doing it. I dropped Sid off at school this morning. Everybody's wearing masks outside. Like COVID just literally plummeted in the last eight days. It just mm -hmm. literally plummeted. There's no evidence that masks have any use outdoors. And there was literally 90 parents wearing masks. <laughs> I, and, I know. <laughs> and for years, for a year, for this year, I just, by out of politeness or, or not wanting to cause trouble or not wanting to be seen as some crazy person, I put a mask on. This morning, I was like, you know what? I'm done with that. I'm not, this is a, sh that these people feel more comfortable wearing masks outside. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not doing it. And I felt so loving and normal and like, this is what I believe. I understand that's what you believe. I didn't feel like how I think I've described like three weeks ago, angry and, and judged, judged by them. It didn't matter whether they were judging me this morning. I just right? look better with one. Yeah, I think people like wearing masks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when right? you got a face like this, when you got a face for radio, man, anything you can cover is good. I mean, it has to it has to get to a point where people like in, you know, in China, we used to look at people in China wearing masks and some of them wore masks and some of them didn't and you during know, flu season but during yeah. well, so there's a lot it, of so it's it just polite. It has Pollution. to get to some point here, at least it's now in America, where it's okay to wear a mask and you won't be shamed if you wear one, but you won't be shamed if you don't wear one either. That's, that's going to have to be where it progresses to. That's where it's got to get to. And, and well, it's not, it ain't the there yet. politicians leave it alone, as soon as it is no longer political, then it'll be fine. But it's got the political stoking right now. So, so, it's, so I'm in, so help me, Chuck, I'm in this journey. And I think. I think I thought we'd do this podcast and it would be therapeutic for you because you'd forget about how much your balls hurt. So it's just one ball. It's just the right one is still it's how big enough. One hurt. They're pretty close together. One hurts yeah, and one doesn't. This one's connected. Mine are literally Chuck. I don't know where your balls are. Mine are literally literally side by side. They I'm are sending, literally I'm, like I'm, I'm sending. I'm sending pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't wait. So in, in accepting the world and, and learning, like it's easier to learn about human relations and communication and people than it is about tribes and community and society and nations and politics and, and personality disorder and this gobbledygook of a society we have. Like literally, if it keeps getting worse as bad as it's gotten from 2016 or 2017 to now, I would say 2015 to now. So that's seven, seven, six and a half years. As bad as it's gotten, if it continues to get so divisive and hateful and the media keeps spewing its division and hate and everybody gobbles it up on their phones like a, like a lovely McDonald's chicken crispy sandwich, where are we going to be? Where are we going to be in six more years? Well, we're all going to be more like Betty White. I think we, we have a lot to learn from her. I think the, oh, her, I the stuff that she would say about it's just easier to be friendly with people. She said, I would go out of my way to be friendly with people just because I wanted to have a good time. 
Right. You know, if you if you want it, and that's exactly what you were saying earlier. You know, if you know, I'm going to go and I'm not going to judge, and I'm not as long as I'm not judging, I'm not as worried about what other people are thinking. Right. That's you know, what I that's what I experienced this morning. I wasn't angry. I was just over it. You know, and this whole thing of oh, you don't care about my children and all this—that vicious, ugly, horrible thing that the Democrats came up with—that has been spewed time and time again. It's been spewed personally to me by a very close friend. It's spewed every night on CNN and MSNBC all day long, all night long, that if you don't get vaccinated and if you don't wear a mask, you don't care about other people and you don't care about other people's children. That is a fucking lie that the media is spewing at people. And it's this, and it's this cyclical echo chamber of hatred. And, Mo, and, and the reaction to that. That me putting my kid in a bath in a mask is child abuse or me having my child vaccinated is child abuse. Well, you live in you live in Huntington Beach. I don't hear any of that shit up here in Claremont. Uh, <laughs> you know, I got the, a Huntington Beach cut in at you even when you're sick. Thanks. <laughs> my ball. Thanks you. <laughs> no, well, but that I, I literally haven't ever heard a parent say that. But but they say that in Huntington or you've I've heard just, that? No, I just know where I've heard that. I've not heard it. I've seen it on posts. Okay. That, you know, you're irresponsible as a parent. And it's just like, you know what, man? None of us are amazing at this. We are all doing the best we can, knowing what we know, having experienced what we've experienced and learning as we go. So, you know, the, you have the right to change your mind because you've learned more. And we know when we're, you know, it's not like, fuck these rules. I'm tired of it. It's just like, I believe what I've been, I've seen over this last two plus years is that it, it's not helping to be outdoors with a mask on. So let me tell you my experience on Thursday, uh, last Thursday, we haven't done a podcast in a while, right? Since Sydney was in the hospital. My daughter was in the hospital last Thursday. I so, had surgery on the 26th. So since. Oh yeah. So that, listen to this, Sydney, like. We're pretty sure I just had COVID. Like everybody's got it. Elijah, my son, had it. He was over here visiting. Then, um, then I just got really sick, but it just easily treated with Tylenol or whatever. And it lasts about four days. Then Sydney got violently ill, like body aches, sweats, um, vomiting, projectile vomiting, diarrhea, all this kind of stuff. So we started testing her for COVID and it was negative. And then we got, ran out of home tests. And so then I went, took her to the urgent care, got her tested, and that was negative. So then we're just thinking, oh, it's a stomach flu or something. We're just trying to figure it out. And it got really bad on Wednesday night into Thursday morning. So the only place we could go was the Kaiser emergency room in, in Baldwin Park. And that is literally like walking into a NASA space center. There, everyone who works there is covered from head to toe. Uh, parents, only one parent is allowed in the building. And, and we're sitting there, you know, and she's vomiting and sick. And I said, well, my wife is overwhelmed and concerned and whatever. And I'm, I'm more like, I know medicine and I should be there to be able to ask the pertinent questions, answer the pertinent questions because my wife's emotional right now. My daughter's distraught. 
we have to be both of us be able to go in. And I appealed it to the nurses, charge nurse, and they said, no, only one family member can go in. So then Chrissy went in because, you know, Sydney's holding on to her mom, mm-hmm. scared. There's people walking around like it's NASA on Mars. My daughter's crying and throwing up, right? And only my wife, who's worried about her daughter, can go into the hospital. And I have to say, I sat outside for seven fucking hours with Chrissy testing, texting me. What are they doing? They're running this blood work. They're running this panels. Then I'm texting Dr. Drew. What are they thinking? This is what they're running. Ask what the test they just ran was. They did three blood pulls. They did an IV drip. They had her with oxygen scaring the fuck out of a little kid. And she's consistently, mm-hmm. they tested her three times you know, two rapid tests within five hours and then a sent away test. And she's negative, negative, negative. Then one of the Mm. doctors outside, I'm talking to my saying, I think my daughter has COVID and she's vomiting. Have you ever heard of that? And he said, yeah, we're getting that with, with Omni. Right. And he said, your daughter's vaccinated. And I said, yeah, she's vaccinated. He said, she said, he said, yeah, for some reason it's vaccinated kids get this vomiting thing from Omni. And so I'm just sitting outside like Sydney's got COVID, right? Mm-hmm. So it gets to the time where they're going to admit you into the hospital, right? We've been there seven hours. All of a sudden they come, disconnect all the machines, right? And discharge her. <laughs> and, and now Chrissy is relieved. She's walking out of the hospital. I'm like, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. What are they saying it is? So she goes to the nurse's station and asks like, well, do you have an explanation? Do we have any explanation of what is causing all this? Right? Because they gave her non-vomit medicine, an IV bag. What, what they do, they're, Gisofran? I guess. And they gave her an IV bag because she was dehydrated from vomiting for two days, right? And mm-hmm. all these negative COVID tests, of which I think she had five. Imagine a little kid getting five COVID tests in two days, two yeah. and a half days. So, so but they're happy to be leaving the hospital. I'm like, well, what the fuck does she have? We've been here for seven hours. They've run thousands of dollars with the labs. What do they have? So she goes back and asks the nurse. So, so wait, we're not, we're confused. My husband wants to know. So what, what is it that, that she has? And they, you ready for this? She they said, well, there's some sort of stomach bug going around. <laughs> this is after no. $20,000 worth of medical <laughs> treatment. <laughs> Some After sort of medical bug. And, uh, some, some sort, sort of stomach. Uh, stomach bug. So she, she has... texts me, it's a stomach bug. <laughs> and I'm like, I text back immediately. There is no such thing. Ask if she has a viral or bacterial. If they, What the fuck is going on? Because they took all this lab work, right? And But right as I'm sending the text, they come walking out of the hospital. <laughs> out of here. We still don't know what she had. She threw up for four fucking days. I think bug infl- it implies virus. I think that's... <laughs> Does it? <laughs> Bacteria look like bugs? Bacteria uh, look like bugs? I don't know. That's my ruling on the field, and we're going to stick with it. I mean, are you it. kidding me how lame the American medical system is? Are you fucking kidding me? You've had three hernia surgeries, and they've all gone bad, and now they threaten to take away one of your balls? Because of this shitty health care system we have that's more concerned with who pays the bill or whether they get sued or not than whether they do excellent work. I'm telling you, this country's medical system is broken. Yeah, you know, but just like our 
just like our uh, treatment system. My uh, my doctor oh, right now. His don't name get is... me started, or we're going to go into but, the second no, hour. The, no, I can it, guarantee it, you the treatment system is broken. Fang. I guarantee you that. My doctor Fang. That's his name with an A. I like Fang. What's up, Fang? Fang is fantastic, man. He hears. I feel heard. When I talk, I've had so many doctors since I started getting insurance when I got sober because of all the things we've got to play catch up on. I've got to get my hep C looked at. I've got to get this done. I've got to get this teeth, you know, um, all sorts, every sort of medical thing that's gone on. And he goes, and he goes, all I did was remove one piece of twisted mesh that was causing pain that was being forced out by your body. So he goes, I removed that one piece of mesh. And the, oh, you the had reaction. A second you had a second surgery. Yeah, he he had to. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. When did he, you have that surgery? No, that was on the twenty sixth. So I had. So on the twenty sixth, I went in because I was having pain, and I had this thing that wasn't supposed to be there. It was when an exploratory. Was it, when was thing. the original surgery? Like, uh, in at the end of 2017, 2018. So, so, so he just, he just went in and he just pulled out this. But one this is piece. the third surgery you've had, correct? In the same place. Yeah. Okay. So, so he goes, uh, he goes, yeah, I don't, he goes, you know, you know, when um, someone comes and works on your house and they go, I don't know who did this shit before, but they didn't know what they were doing. Oh, every time me, I've ever he, done something at he, home, they say that. He, he gave me that sort of thing. He goes, I don't know what he was thinking because he did this and this. And he goes, normally we don't see it like this. He goes, so now we need to watch it because this hematoma released from that one piece, which is just means it's like this weird blood thing going on <laughs> and all this reaction happening in the area. And, and he goes, now in when I just saw him on Monday, he goes, in three weeks, we're going to do a, a scan and see if their hernia actually is holding or if we're going to need to do more to fix what was done incorrectly prior. And I'm just like, oh, my God, all I want is it for it to not hurt. And I can take a little bit of pain. My knee hurts every day. I've got no cartilage in it, right? We're old. Shit happens. Right. You know, so it's like you learn to live with pain. You don't do things you would normally do. You know, I, I stay out of the pit. I stand near the walls when I go to shows. I know to limit. I don't go hiking. I don't like hiking anyhow, but it's a good excuse. And the, but so it's like, I just want it to be something I can tolerate. Well, so anyways, so, but, but. So the, the person who's the second surgery made a horrible, gross mistake that your new yeah. doctor is pointing out, and you're still not mad at that doctor? You know, I'm kind of mad at myself. I should have seen, you know. You're should a, you should see the inside of your, your stomach? No, I should have seen by the way the office is run, by the way it was always overbooked and we're always waiting. And the way the office didn't return phone calls, the way the doctor's bedside manner was just for shit. You know, it seemed like, uh, like I was a pain in his ass, right? Every time I'd try to get a hold of him, this guy, I've got his cell number. I can text him and I've texted him and said, dude, I'm bleeding. Is this okay? And he'll call me back. Hey, right. it's not, it's nine 30 on a weeknight. And he's got stuff to do and he's got places to be. And he's talking to me like I'm a human being. And I think that's kind of like what we take into treatment that other people 
don't. And I get it. Medic, medical is, is fouled up, but I think, I, I think I finally found a couple good ones. My current doctors are, they give a shit. Either they're right. not burned, either they're not burned out or they don't remember the old days when they, you know, they made millions of dollars and didn't have all the problems they have. Right. Well, uh, you so, know, all right. So, so that, I have a story. Eddie Avalos had a heart, had, had heart um, problems because of, I don't know if you guys know Eddie, but um, yeah, I know, know I know. Yeah. So he goes into this old doctor, his old cardiologist, and he's like 80 something years old and he's ready to retire. And the guy says, I think you need a whole heart transplant. Oh, and then he's geez. like, wait, 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 hold on. <laughs> the last thing you want to hear, really. So there, Eddie started shopping it's doctors. It's just a heart. So listen, right <laughs> after that, Eddie started shopping doctors. He got this young one over at um, UCLA and, uh, uh, you know, hotshot young guy and said, oh, that, no, that, that's not right. You don't need to, we can put a valve in. It's going to be fine and everything. So he got this whole valve put in and everything is healing fine and everything but it was a serious serious operation but the first guy was on the verge of retirement and uh wanted to give him a whole new heart my point is that you really do like chuck had to, you know you have to evaluate these people man my you know my brother had back surgery and he evaluated five doctors before he went with one of them you can't get the ones that are that treat you like they're rock stars here's the thing i grew up in a medical family so no one questioned doctors or the medical profession because they, it was pretty excellent like from 19 from after world war ii to the 1980s healthcare in america was excellent right you see the mortality rate go up and up and up and up and up you say the 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 child death birth uh, number whatever just going down it's and down a, it's and a mortality yeah mortality infant mortality going down you see the people living longer it was just and then we hit this hmo system and i'm telling you this is a broken system and what and i knew it and i and i, I think obama just made it worse he kept the existing system and just made everybody adhere to it but but um but when when the Obama wars over healthcare and Obamacare was going on, I lived in Joshua Tree, and I've told Mike this story every Saturday and Sunday on the corner of of old of of Old Woman Springs Road and the and the Joshua Tree Highway was about fifty to seventy really unhealthy people in folding chairs. Like I'm like really unhealthy. The like the type of people like they're really in their 50s but they look like they're in their 70s <laughs> yeah, right right and just just horrible hideous humans just and they all had these Bob. signs well they were they were it, it was just like, like i don't know old people like they were misshapen well and they no, smell bad they were no they were filled with hate and their and their faces reflected that. Oh, and okay. and they and they stood there every day screaming at cars Saturday and Sunday with signs. And one of them had a picture of Obama with a Hitler mustache. And they were saying, "No, taking away our health care. No, take de no death panels, right? 
and oh, it, that was and my it, favorite death panels. Right, that there was going to be death panels. And, mm-hmm. and so this misinformation that's been going on now, it was obviously going on then because it affected like 50, 60 people in Yucca <laughs> Valley. And they were just, and I, so one day I was feeling playful, Chuck, and I just, uh, <laughs> I pulled over and I, uh, I joined the crowd and I started quizzing some people. And I was like, what is so what what is it that you're so what is it that I need to know that is so bad about getting poor people free health care? And then I realized like this is like 50 poor people that live in mobile homes in Yucca Valley. Right. And they're all on. So then I started asking, so what health care do you have? They all had Medicare. They were all <laughs> protesting and they had government health care. And then so I got back in my truck and I had my dog with me. And Sebastian, I just Sebastian. I don't even know what to think anymore. <laughs> I like I remember having this moment where I talked to my dog in my truck for like five minutes, like these people. And I kept looking at them out the back window. They all have government health care. And they're protesting government health care. <laughs> it was the craziest thing ever. Right? Hey, <laughs> Take it all away. Just what did they know? <laughs> so, so anyways, I just think we need a healthcare revolution. We're not going to get it until people start talking about how, how broken the healthcare system is, right? And you're seeing that with COVID. So really why they do the shutdown is because the hospitals can't handle as many sick people as there are who have insurance, right? That's so it's a capitalist for-profit healthcare system, right? We all pay, I pay $758 a month just for me. And then 770 for Chrissy and the kids, because I wanted to separate for some reason, they don't like old people being associated with young people for, I I've realized this over the last three years is for some reason that I'm old, they're just a little bit more. So say I just as healthcare is like $190 a month. When I'm on his policy, it's like 206. Like, I don't know how they do the matrix of what they get to charge. So I set, I, I figured it out. The lowest healthcare we've ever paid is 750 for me separately with my own, um, uh, blue cross th- blue, uh, uh, blue shield. And they have Kaiser at 770, right? Before, when I was on theirs, we were paying fifteen sixty, right? So it's now mm-hmm. it's like and now it's like fifteen twenty, and it was supposed to go up three hundred two hundred and sixty dollars. So I got it to go down in a year. It was supposed to go up two hundred and something. Okay. So so this is a broken system. This is for profit. Just like if you buy a car or you buy groceries at the store, you're buying health insurance. And the system that makes billions of dollars off of healthcare, the insurance system and the healthcare system, billions of dollars, of which I share and you share, Chuck, we're healthcare professionals. We're getting paid. It's our job. It's a Mm for-profit job. They don't have enough healthcare for all the people they're insuring. That's why they did the shutdown. Because if everyone, you know, and they talk about, oh, the hospitals are overwhelmed. Well, they're for-profit hospitals. They need to open more hospitals then because they charge us all $750 for fucking nothing. Usually, right? yeah. Usually right? I'm not taking advantage of anything. Right, right. I don't ever go to the doctor. I haven't seen a doctor in like six years since I had that colonoscopy. Fuck that shit. I, uh, oh, fuck I that. can't wait for my next one. I don't oh, get another one until I'm 60. God. Well, you, oh, you're kidding. <laughs> Yeah, in every 10 years. 
Is 68? Do I have to get one at 50? I'm hoping I I die before I have to get another one. Mike, have you had a colonoscopy? Oh, come on. It's not that bad. Have have you had one? No. (laughs) 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 I'm afraid. (laughs) Well, yeah, well, let's go into the colonoscopy thing. So I'm going in, right, Chuck? (laughs) Okay. uh, I, you know. I'm not, I'm not a young man anymore. I've kind of let myself go. I don't, uh, I don't really, what is it called? Scape, scope myself. I don't really, you know what I mean? I got, you don't I got, do yeah. any self any, examinations. No, that where you shave and all that. Oh, you don't manscape. You don't. Well, well, I do like once every five months, maybe. Oh, and it, and it hits me in some inspirational moment. I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I don't need to hear this, out. man. But, you know, I but, don't need to but hear so this that, shit. But Mike, when you're going there, there's going to be nurses looking at that. Uh, so then you, I was so upset. You want to have a the, clean satchel for sure. Oh, the clean yeah. whole thing. Everything was clean. Trust me. All right. But it oh, took, I like, enjoy shaving my balls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I thought you were dying. Oh, <laughs> it's not really the ball area that they're going into, my friend. So I, I, you know, and it's, and I was, and I, you know, and, and it was when I was living in Beachwood and I was living by myself and just me and Elvis and I, you know, and I'm sitting up there and I'm hoping Elvis doesn't come in. <laughs> I'm like, what the mm-hmm. fuck are you doing, dad? <laughs> yeah, you can wax that. <laughs> you, have to, you have to bend. Well, the way I do it, you have to bend all the way over, which at 55 is not easy to bend all the way over. <laughs> Chuck, on Chuck one does, end, Amy, one does Amy help you with the, with the waxing part? Come on, no. be honest. No, but I wanted to do my toes. I look like a three dollar whore. So, uh, so let me let me tell you. Then does a three dollar whore have hairy toes? <laughs> no, I mean my polish. <laughs> Your polish. So uh, let so let me finish this. So I get myself all cleaned up. I'm all ready to go, and uh, and you know I'm kind of proud of myself and whatever. And uh, and I go to I forget where I got it done at somewhere in Hollywood uh, Hollywood outpatient thing and I I you know they get you and they lay down or you got your butthole waxed no I I just shaved it with a grooming with like a shaver you know like you shave your head with right How'd you get it like just prop your legs up and then no uh, I I told you I I yeah go look, he's, way going, down. he's showing us how he did it <laughs> <laughs> like, this makes like for riveting. I wanted to get more of that I wanted to get I'm more a, of a visual I'm, that. I'm almost 61 I can barely fucking do it and so <laughs> so anyways so I do it so and it was a real deal because I'm trying to dodge Elvis just explain it one more time Bob you were so <laughs> I had to bend all the way over oh, like his that. days his all days on the way. pole are oh, over and you, <laughs> and you know I gotta I get I gotta and then did you I have gotta, a mirror a mirror? No, I have a I have a bit of a tummy, so I had to suck my belly in so I could see as far up there as I could. But yeah. you, can kind of, you can kind of feel around. I, I got yeah. it in a mirror and put it on the floor. That's what I, I, got, I got it in perfect shape, and I go to the fucking place, and I, you know, they're getting you ready, and they start to put this goop on you and whatever, and uh, and they got the you know the 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 stuff the orange but did, or hey, paper. Wait, did, did they comment like, "Hey, you got a nice shaved butt"? No, it was it, a fucking old guy. He didn't care oh, whether you shaved. He didn't or not. fucking care. Oh, <laughs> uh, you were going to trouble. trouble. And you didn't so even much, have to go. You know, and it was a two day adventure because I'd be like, "Am I sure I got it all?" Yeah, and I'm trying to look in the uh, mirror in the bathroom, like, "Oh my uh, god, I gotta have it looking." I'm you looking didn't at ask Chris. 
No, no, we no. weren't together. Like I was by myself, oh, and I was, See, this, and so I was like, and so I was like, yeah, it was eight years ago. So it was, yeah, the fifty, <laughs> the fifty-three or whatever. So, so then I'm just like, that's all you I could have called about. me, Bob. I would have came over and but, checked it. But, out. but listen to how well it worked out. So I'm nervous about getting the 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 Valium liquid Valium because everyone tells you, oh, you're gonna love it and whatever. I was so pissed off at the big deal I had made of shaving myself and making myself look presentable for some pretty nurse. And this this big old guy, (laughs) he was was like a Russian guy, like a big, huge Russian guy. Loved me, loved me, see her. Nice it's like having a rugby player shove that up there. <laughs> yeah. and, and then I'm thinking, and I'm sitting there all nervous, like, oh my God, he's probably thinking that I'm a manscaped groomer guy. <laughs> like, what is give it to you harder. This is so weird, because this guy has this Wait, shit. I'll get the bigger, whole, I'll get the no, bigger camera. This guy has hair. He has hair all over his body, oh, in his ears. He had hair in his ears. <laughs> looking at him, and like, he's talking to me like, you know, move over, move over a little bit. I'm like, okay. Oh my God. And, uh, it was just crazy. I'm thinking like, he's going to think I'm some weird Hollywood guy. That's all no hair. Guy. <laughs> Metrosexual. <laughs> and so, yeah. So then I thought, I thought like, he's judging me. Did you start apologizing? No, I, no, swear, I started. I never really do I, this. No, I started acting all macho. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Hey, did you see that football game today? Yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> Oh, I I mean, I've, never, this morning. I've never been to Russia, but I hear there's a lot of tough guys there. Whatever, I, was, <laughs> I, 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 I lowered my voice and I was trying to be, uh, I was being more manly for oh, the for the uh, for the orderly uh, guy that was uh, prepping God, my butt Bob. for the colonoscopy. Uh, so, anyways, Chuck, I'm so glad you're alive. They appreciate and well. that. It's like cleaning your engine before you go to the mechanic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it is true. You know what it is? Yeah, I do do it more often. I, I probably do it like once a month, but but or once every two months, maybe. Because when you're married, you just be respectful. You're in a relationship, you're more respectful. When I was on my own there, it was like for a year, I was just like, yeah, fuck it, I don't care. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about me. I'm a fat old guy. Nobody you cares. look like you got Don King in a, in a headlock between <laughs> <Yeah>. your cheeks. Fuck <laughs> this. Oh, my God. Yeah, who cares? My life is over. Who fucking cares? I live in a sober living with Chuck's son. My life is over. <laughs> you know, you know, that's funny. It. I uh, I heard good feedback about the show where we had um, Chris on. Oh yeah, and 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 Noodles was a little bit angry with me because he goes, "I'm a Thelonious Monster fan. I listen to the show. How come I didn't get a shout out?" And he goes, <laughs> "And Mike Mart is right. <laughs> Swan Song is their best song." Oh wow! So, <laughs> so it's just I like and, and and Chris Carey and Ashley put out a little uh, little uh, thing saying thanks, Mike, for the shout out, and they put oh, it on yeah. Instagram. And I mean, cool. there's so many big James. There's so many people that love Thelonious, and 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 you know what? Their love of Thelonious and and uh, helped me like love Thelonious because there was a long time there where I was like. You know, it's so much like we could have a whole show on the emotions and psycho, the psych psychology of Thelonious Monster. So, but the, but the love of like Big James and Chris and Ashley and well, Ashley's more bicycle people, I gotta say. But anyways, uh, well, they're also talking uh, about the podcast. 
But oh, okay. you know, it's, but I just think it just showed me that my brain tells me that maybe Noodles is playing the long game to use me to get to you, Bobby. Oh, there you go. Well, so there well, it is. It's I, a I long grift. Those, I think about how those guys tour. Like it's just so crazy to me. Like I, I, th- I do think every time I drive by Orange County Airport, which I have been recently because I'm doing something down there by in Costa Mesa by the airport, and uh, I just think like those guys just like show up there and like Dexter drives them to their gig in a plane. It's just like, what the fuck? I could imagine Mike, if Thelonious monster was a little bit more successful. And I was your pilot. And, and and, and, yeah, (laughs) you had a plane. And it's like, yeah, Pete, Pete, me and Dixon, Chris Hansen and Martine show up at Long Beach airport. And Mike's going to fly us to play some gig. in in fucking Fresno. There's no way there's that. You that know why it's not going to happen? You can't pull a trailer with a plane. <laughs> <laughs> you, but you there's can. no kind of, there's no <laughs> kind like of, that. they must have incredible trust amongst those guys. Like I just, well, like I, it just Dexter's like, a very, very smart individual on PhD. And, you know, I mean, he's, he's no slouch. I like to not know the pilot. I just, I just flew on a plane a couple of weeks ago and I was just like, I'm, you know, it was a <clears throat> friend of mine's plane and, you know, you met the pilot and I was just like, oh, God, I'd rather he be in there doing what he's supposed to be doing than back. It was, the plane was flying and he came and was like having a donut in the, in the area and like saying hi and whatever. So like the plane, pilot. who's up there? Who's co-pilot. in the front? Who's in the pilot. front there? Yeah, Haven't no, you I, ever I seen an airplane? It's an inflatable guy. <laughs> <laughs> and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yes. Actually. That right. would be so great. You so haven't great. heard the conspiracy, Bob, that the world is flat and people don't actually go up in planes? It's a movie? You're kidding. <laughs> Do people believe it. that? No, I just oh. made it up. But you got, oh but, my God. but really, you might I have could... just You might have just started. You had me. Because people believe such dumb shit nowadays. I know. That would be like, I would believe that some people believe that. Yeah. I know Kyrie Irving, the basketball player, thinks the world is flat. Yeah, flat earthers. And you know, and, and good for him. I hope he's happy on his flat earth. What I'm not going to argue with that. You can't argue with but, stupid like that. But so what do they think when they've seen, like I've seen like pretty detailed, you know, very high quality um, video from the space station. Fakes. What, what do they think? Why do they think it looks so round and that you can see the scope of it? Uh, what are they? Well, it is round. About? It is round, but it's flat. If you watch behind the curve, you'll see that. Behind the curve <laughs> has the. What's behind was, the curve? It's the it's the flat earthers documentary. Oh really? Behind, behind the curve, it's called. I believe that's what it. Yeah, I believe. Hey, you want to hear one of the coolest weird things? Because I'm so lucky that I get to go around and talk to so many people. I talked to like, I don't know, thirty or forty people today. I just love hearing people's stories, and I love arguing with them, as we know, and whatever. And this guy told a story. It's an actual fact. There was one American who was not on planet Earth when 9/11 happened. He was in the space station. Yeah. And while they were orbiting, they could see something had happened in New York because they could see the smoke coming out. And then, and because they were up there for months and months, then a few weeks or months later, whenever we did what we did, when the bombing of Afghanistan happened, because Afghanistan doesn't have electricity at night, so it's like a black spot of the Middle East, right? Yeah. And they could see little, little, like, orange dots going boom 
boom, boom. All the bombs that America was dropping on Iraq, uh, uh, on Afghanistan, uh, on Afghanistan. They could see it from the space station. Dude, when you're flying in an airplane over the Amazon jungle going to Brazil, you can see the fire lines of them burning, burning trees. You can see it from the plane. I asked the uh, attendant, so what, what are those down there? And he goes, that's them burning the, that's the fire lines, burning the Amazon forest. And what I, you know, I'm so dumb and naive about that. Like, I, you know, people have tried to, people have presented to me for years, you know, they're burning down the rainforest. And I say, oh, that's awful. And they say, hey, would you do, would you donate some money or would you play a concert? I'm like, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do it. And I, but I really don't know why are they burning it down? What do, what do they gain by it burning? So they can industrialize it and they can put cattle on it and look actually mcdonald's you know what grows when they burn it down is grass so they can raise cattle on that field there's not other land down there they can and have then they can on? sell the cattle and then they you know i don't know you know that's part no, but of i mean i mean why can't they just use the other land that's there is it just like sometimes i just I just go with, you know, Chuck, I go with the flow. So if a friend I trust says, hey, they're burning the rainforest. we got to do something about it. I'm like, oh, I'm all in. What do we need to do? But I never know why they're burning the rainforest. I, I really don't know. What is, what could, it, it, why would you, because I, this goes so far back. about it, but it's so I, fucking beautiful and so otherworldly. Why would you burn it down? There, there, there's like Mike was saying, there's got to be money somewhere. Otherwise it, wouldn't, otherwise, it wouldn't be done. But I think even Jane's Addiction had a, they covered a Grateful Dead song, Ripple, for a stop the burning of the rainforest, things like before I got sober. So this is like in yeah, the it's 90s. it's been going on the, forever. You know, it's just so, it's, it's so crazy <laughs> that you could see 9-11 from the space shuttle, the space center, the space station. That's so crazy. So, so getting back to the flat earthers, like, what do they think? Like, so New York's there and you can see it from space and then you can see Los Angeles and you can see the Mexican peninsula. So, you know, that that's California, you know, North well, America. Like, and then like there's the no, but map. wait, but wait, there's no Russia. There's no China there where, when you're looking on that thing. So where are they? Are they, on the other side of the pancake and the, and what I just, I just don't see how, how, how four minutes of arguing doesn't dissuade flat earthers. I'm just shocked by that. Right. It, it's a dedicated group and it's just it's by a, everyday knowledge, just like everyday a, knowledge. It's a simple, it's a strange, it's a strange thing that they, they did. They even did an experiment during that show where they tried to show that if you put, Poles out and pieces of wood at different levels, you would see running a laser that it goes straight, that there is no actual curvature to the earth. <laughs> and, and, and it failed. And they ran a gyro to show that the world isn't actually spinning. And it was. And they're like, oh shit, this isn't good. You know, but it's just something, you know, people, people want to get lost in minutiae like that that we're never going to figure out. We're never going to, it's never going to matter to us. But, you know, um, when we look at what's important, when we come back to what's going on with us and, and our what's what's going on in our families, what's going on in our community, what's going on at our work, where can we make a difference, man? It's so much easier to not get caught up in all I the idiocy. Think, 
I do think everything is a blessing and a curse. So a lot of families are breaking apart because they can't stand each other and they've been forced to be together for two years. And a lot of people are just loving being with their kids and appreciating every day and how special this is. I've been back to work for two weeks now. I worked this the third day in a row, which was really, you know, leave at 9 a.m., get back at it. I got back like when I talked to you guys at 7 or whatever. So I left at 9 a.m., got back at 7. And Sydney said are you working tomorrow? And I said, no, I don't have to go in tomorrow. And she goes, good. I miss you so much. Mm, right. Yeah. That felt like so great. Like COVID has been this blessing where I've been with Sydney like constantly for two years and now I'm going mm. back to work and it's kind of, you know, it's definitely not a plus on my side, but I can say if me and Chrissy were fighting and on the verge of divorce and I didn't really, I really wasn't a present father with my kids, I would not be able to wait to go back to work. So, so anyways, I just, I, I just got to say uh, shout out to everyone. So let's list the people I know that let, listen, Smitty and, 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 and Wiley and Mark Cates and, and there's a, there's a guy um, on Instagram like, or Twitter or something named Jack Tripper. Who's that? I Jack know. Tripper. Jack yeah. Tripper. That's the guy. Isn't that the name of the guy on Three's Company? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, this guy says, ah, oh, man, I love your podcast. You know, he always writes about it and he always posts everything. Well, Jack Tripper, whoever you are, if that's your real name, it's wow. Not. It's not. <laughs> so, know, so, and, uh, so you know, my friend Cindy, she listens on Fridays to get home from work, and she's like, "Man, you guys, it, it just it's just something." She she works now where it's like a forty five minute ride home, and she's like stoked that there's something to listen to uh, on we're Fridays. At the hour, we're at the hour and twenty minute point, Chuck. She's not listening anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Brandy and Rue, you know, there's a lot of people I know that listen semi-regularly and, I, and it's usually embarrassing because i don't know but in 15 minutes i'm not going to remember what we talked about because right, it, right. It, it's so off the cuff on twitter justin at england just 1990 shout out well people so really often. like the chris hansen thing people have been texting me they liked having chris on well, so we should have you know maybe you guys more. faced a lot of real stuff on that and that was real man up stuff and i never thought of Bob and the monster is being, I thought the monster was addiction. I never thought Bob and the monster was Bob and Thelonious monster. So uh, I even learned something, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I thought because it was more about addiction and pulling people out of that way of life. But you know, and I'll, I'll until I just talked about the documentary to somebody who's writing a, they're writing a, a, a long form story about 1983 los angeles punk rock or the los angeles music scene and i just said you know i could probably tell you my take on it me and anthony and flea and blah blah and the sunday club and whatever but there's a documentary about me and the first 30 minutes of it pretty much describe that era right it really mm -hmm. is about us it's not about me it's about us but yeah, the last hour is about recovery and drugs and how great I am and whatever. And I kept, and when I saw <laughs> and when I saw a rough cut of it, I said, Kirda, I'm no not nearly as nice and good a person as you're portraying me." And I said, "And I'm not joking. I don't say that. Like I don't like that you have here." And she explained to me, "Well, you have to have these character arcs and blah 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 blah." And I said, "But you know, tone it down a little bit." So imagine. The final product, how much it's like, oh, Bob's just amazing and Bob's the greatest guy ever, which is just ridiculous. And 
what it was like, <laughs> what I told it uh-huh. down from. Like Bob walks on water, he's this fucking junkie angel and this mm-hmm. ridiculous shit. I got that cut out. Some guy from a friend of mine um, that was on the board at MAP says he was just this pathetic person. He turned into this like junkie angel and, and Kirta thought that was just television gold or whatever. And I was like, that can't be in there. You can't, you can't, that's just not true. Nobody, you know what I mean? So no, so just, just me, send, just send me a copy of that so I can put it in my morning devotional. <laughs> 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 you turn from this piece of shit into this junkie angel. So, oh boy! So I'm not a junkie angel. I'm just a guy trying to raise three kids in the madness of fucking America, right? And th- that's really the truth of it. And I found that out during COVID. I, you know, I just always I could never sit still. COVID's taught me. I there there are a couple of days where I don't leave this property. That has never happened in my fucking 60 years of living, I always have to go somewhere and do something, whether it's a record store or, you know, the to movie theater or go get the car wash. I just always have to do something. And literally I don't leave this house for like two days. And I, and I learned how to be still and be with my family. And so everybody that's having a hard time with COVID, I'm sorry, but let's not all say it's the end of the world and it's the worst thing ever. And we had to stay home and all this kind of stuff because you could have looked at it differently and you could have chosen a different kind of actions about it, different perception about it. Right. And you're talking to a guy that, that has had a lot of, a lot of stuff I don't complain about ever around here. Like, you know, and I don't, I don't think it's positive for a blessed person to talk about their poo butt problems. Right. And, you know, mostly financial and what COVID did to Allo and what COVID did to the new place I opened. Who cares? You know, you win some, you lose some, right? Mm. But, you know, if you really knew the truth of what COVID did to me financially, you'd just be like, how do you even fucking get out of bed in the morning, right? I mean, I owe a lot of money. And, and who cares? Like, it's just money. We'll figure it out or we won't. You know, yeah, it'll, it, it, it'll come or it won't, but it's not in our nature. You know, that's, you know, gosh, for a guy, you don't do a lot of 12 step anymore, but you say the things that are so 12 step fear of financial insecurity will leave us. It doesn't say financial insecurity, but the fear of it. We know we're going to be okay because we kind of always have been and worrying about it hasn't changed anything. Taking the action has. And you're taking the action and you made, you know, you make the most out of the situation the way you've got it. I, I didn't get time off during COVID and these last couple of weeks have got me itching to go to work only because I know what my caseload and I'm concerned about my, my clients. You know, and I do, I do think about like going back to work. I, like it took me two hours to get home tonight. It's it's a fucking long drive. Right. So when I think about people like you that could just drive 15 minutes, what a blessing oh, yeah. that is. Like, no kidding. No, no I left, kidding. I left work at 518. I got home at 704. Right. You, you know, know what I mean? I, I love that's the, a fucking, I love that's the a place. fucking drive. Dude, seven miles, <laughs> seven miles from my front door to the parking structure is, is my, my big haul every day. And it's not even long enough to hear Mike, all the music. Mike, what, what, what part of what part of your Long Beach are you living in now? 
I'm living right by the theater. I'm living in. Oh downtown. yeah, yeah. You can walk to work. So I have a but friend. It takes me four. Work. It takes me four minutes to get to work. Oh God, I yeah. I, uh, I gotta think about that. But if it's only this three days a week, I can do it. Twelve hours a day, three days a week. Can I do it, gentlemen? I can do it. You, you can do it for now because it's not forever like that. All right, God bless America. The fucking madness. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Good night, guys. Right, Thank right. you for hey, checking. Chuck, I'm glad you're. Glad, I'm glad you're glad doing you, better. And glad you're doing better. Thank Don't, you. Yeah. You know, take care of the family jewels. Thanks for giving. Oh, <laughs> thanks for giving us the poop on your nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Chucky two nuts forever. Yeah. <laughs> All right, see you guys later. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye. Bye. Bye.